0: It was very weird because I was in this small community already considered an outcast because I skated. And then I was an outcast in that outcast community. I was like shunned because of my style. And so that just set me up to prove myself further. What contributed to my success was that I was willing to go outside my comfort zone. And so like I learned techniques in skating that I wasn't really interested in, but I knew it would help me be more well-rounded. And with that mindset, that helped me in business.
1: That my friends is the great Tony Hawk and this is the Rich Roll podcast. The Rich Roll podcast. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. I'm your host. Welcome or welcome back. Thank you for showing up. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you for sharing the show with your friends and on social media and Hey, it's just uh, it's good to spend a little time with you today. Really quick up top, if you have enjoyed my recent live podcast episodes from our recent retreat in Italy, I wanted to let you guys know that our next retreat will be May 18 to 25, 2019. We are currently taking RSVPs now, and it will sell out. And because I know everybody needs copious advance notice to think about and plan a trip like this, so I'm putting it out there now. Uh, To give you a sense of the experience, it's super fun, uh, but at times intense. It's a seven-day immersive deep dive into wellness and just an awesome time with a like-minded group of amazing people. We have incredible food with a menu designed by Julie. We're gonna trail run, we're gonna meditate. We're going to engage in traditional tea ceremony. We've got workshops, special guests, cooking instruction, breath work, Ayurvedic treatments, on and on and on. Uh, And it's all going down at this beautiful villa and working farm in the Tuscan countryside. So for more information on that, on the whole affair, and to reserve your spot, go to ourplantpowerworld.com. Oh yeah, Tony Hawk's on the show. Greatest skateboarder of all time. Do I really need to give you this guy's bio. You guys know him, right? The skateboard guy? I don't know, maybe a few of you guys don't. So let me briefly run it down for you. Tony Hawk is arguably the single most influential skateboarder of all time. He was born and raised in Southern California, and he's probably forgotten more tricks than most people learn in a lifetime. And his contributions to the sport are endless, uh, including tremendous philanthropy and skateboarding's holy grail by becoming the only person to successfully land a 900, which is a big deal in the skateboarding world. But there are two things that really stand out for me in Tony's story. Actually, there's three. Uh, The first thing is, although he was always great, Tony didn't really actually pop on the mainstream as a skateboarder until he was in his 30s, which I think is really interesting. Second, he's now 50 and he's still out there killing it. He recently did this video completing 50 of the tricks he's created over his 50 years. I'll link that video up in the show notes. And my point is that he continues to push himself and is really redefining how we think about this decade, how culture contemplates 50, how we age, what it means to be 50, which of course is something I deeply relate to, uh, being 51 myself, uh, and I'm very interested in exploring with him. And then third, he's so much more than an athlete. Uh, He's a parent to a whole bunch of kids. He actually brought his 11-year-old daughter to the podcast, which was very sweet, and an incredibly successful business person, entrepreneur, philanthropist, a guy who really has leveraged his talents and his profile to continually create. And I think this has a lot to do with the very unique way in which he navigates fear and and thinks about risk. A couple more things I wanna throw at you before we dive in, but let's take care of a little business. We're brought to you today by Momentus. from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, on is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. Tony Hawk. Look, this guy's been interviewed a million times, a billion times. He didn't need to do my show, but he did. And how this whole thing came together is actually pretty interesting. Uh, Because honestly, I wasn't chasing him. His publicist reached out to me, which, is a thing that started happening when the show got big. I started getting solicitations from publicists and usually this occurs when or or because the famous client has a book coming out or something specific that they would like to promote. It's just the nature of how all this works, but not Tony. He didn't have anything he wanted or needed to push. He just wants to be part of the conversations that, that people are tuning into now, which I think is not only super cool and interesting, but also speaks to his nature, his character, as this guy who at 50 is not slowing down, who is always moving forward, innovating, expressing himself, and just genuinely interested in the world. So the whole thing was great. We cover his story, of course, and I did my best as a fellow athlete of his age to explore how he thinks about being 50, how he balances life as an athlete, a businessman, and a parent and how he continues to push himself. Uh, and I think for Tony, it's all about the importance of finding your passion, of overcoming self-imposed limitations through this dedication that he has to continual progress over perfection. Quick reminder for the visually inclined, the full episode is available in Vivid Technicolor on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash richroll. So check that out and subscribe to the channel if uh, you haven't already. Anyway, great dude, great talk. So here we go. I started it before it was cool to have a podcast. Yeah, now that's, that's there's a the best time to get in, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, now there's so many of them, but uh, it's been great, man, I love doing it. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's been a long time. I started in the winter of 2012. Okay. So I'm up around, getting up around 400 episodes. Oh, that's so great. So far, wow. so it's good. I, uh, I have a show on Sirius XM,
0: um, we've been doing it for 14 years now, uh-huh. and uh, it's funny because it's a radio show, but now when I get guests on, they all think it's a podcast. Right. Like in the last year, that that shift has been happening.
1: That's definitely a I, seismic shift, it would have yeah. been the other way like, around. oh, I did you X podcast, yeah, I was like, yeah. it's,
0: it's on the radio,
1: it should. You should bump it to a podcast. Also, I, I, it though. feels like
0: that's more prestigious now right. to say it's a podcast.
1: Yeah. That's so you've been doing saying. that for a long time. How often yeah. do you do that? Uh,
0: once. Well, it used to be once a week. Now it's about once every two weeks. Right.
1: It's cool. Do You enjoy that? That's yeah,
0: fun. I've, yeah. I've uh, managed to get a really good um, guest list, so that's been that's been helpful.
1: Super cool. Just one of eight billion things that you're up to.
0: Yeah, but it, but that one has really been fun because I get to you know, meet people that I've always looked up to or right. been interested in. And. Yeah,
1: case in point right here. That's the <laughs> greatest gift of this thing is I get to convince people like you to come and talk to me. So oh, I really cool. appreciate it. Sure. Um, I think the the first thing I wanna kind of dig into with you is just being 50. You know, I'm 51, we're about uh-huh. the same age. Uh, I'm an athlete, very different kind of athlete, um, but I'm really interested in kind of how you think about what it means to be 50 and how that affects or doesn't affect like what you do in your sport, how you think about your sport, kind of your daily routines, what you can and can't do and and the boundaries that you either place or don't place on yourself. Well, I never put ultimatums out there in terms of,
0: if I reach this age, I can't do this anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I was, I knew this was coming and I knew it was a big milestone and I was trying to ignore it, but as it came and people started to put so much attention on other it. people can't ignore it pretty much other yeah, yeah it was it was other people that convinced uh-huh. me like you really are old <laughs> I mean in terms yeah. of for what I do and I'm proud of that you know and and for sure i i I am shifting my style and and I do you know I don't participate in so many things. I don't do so many risky maneuvers or terrains that I used to um but I'm still found a way to do what I do and enjoy it and be progressive at it so I feel mm-hmm. like I've sort of been f- not forced to, but but have chosen to to change my style up so that I can continue to do it at this age. Right, um, and it definitely is what keeps me fit. Mm-hmm. I don't have a workout routine. <clears throat> you know, I don't I don't do yoga and stuff. As I know, I probably should. Yeah, you. And I probably do will that. eventually, but <laughs> you'll um, get forced into at it at this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another thing I'm forced into. <laughs> yeah, by um, by other people. But I. But it, really, it's just been more about. Um, figuring out how to do this into into this age or into this decade.
1: Well, what's amazing is, you know, when I, I I don't know what your experience is, but when I was a kid, when I was 14, 15 years old, the idea that somebody would be athletic in their fifties was insane, like you wouldn't.
0: Well, with skateboarding, when I was a kid, you couldn't skate into your twenties. Like Mm. it just wasn't an option because there was no career to be had for it. And it was considered this kid activity. So if you were skating past, you know, high school. It was like, what's wrong with you? Right. Like, <laughs> Mattel syndrome.
1: Like, what? You've got to grow up, Peter Pan. But even even beyond skating in any sport that anybody would even right. be doing anything remotely athletic into their fifties would would have been a radical concept in right. you know, 19, was, 1975 a rare, or whatever. yeah, it'd be a rare yeah. specimen
0: of some guy that like yeah. ran a marathon. That's amazing. He right. ran a marathon. Right. Um. But but that I, I guess just with our knowledge of. Of health and of um, of of life and and what works, I feel like that that's what's ch- changed everything yeah in terms of the the general society and the general acceptance of being fit and you know and and being being active at this age
1: is what keeps you healthy, of course right yeah there's definitely all these advances in nutrition and training techniques and you know the technology of whatever sport you find yourself in but I just feel like there's a there's a there's a we're in a culture that allows us to explore this later in life that wasn't exactly that permissive back then and so you're seeing older athletes pushing the boundaries and doing amazing things in their various disciplines like across the board and i think that's super cool
0: yeah and i'm i'm glad to be part of it i feel like i'm i'm somewhat of a litmus test for how far you can take it mm-hmm. uh there's plenty of people that are skating into their 50s and whatnot um, but I feel like I'm I'm the one that's still out there, sort of in public,
1: doing it and, right. and trying to prove that you can still be relevant. Yeah, you're you're, you're the canary in the coal mine. I, I think, think that's so, yeah. the distinguishing factor, like being relevant at the highest level in your sport versus just remaining active. My latest obsession is this woman, uh, who is my oldest podcast fan. She's ninety six, and she went plant-based a year ago. And now she's on Instagram. She's got like 13,000 followers wow. on Instagram. And she posts like her daily workout routines and like what she's eating and stuff like that. And she has this following and it's like, she's doing working out with bands and all this kind of stuff with a trainer. And I just find that to be so inspiring. Like that's she's amazing. 96, yeah, you know, right. she's coming up on a hundred.
0: Right, It's bananas. Yeah. Um, well, that's a far cry from my mom is, uh, my mom is 94, but she has dementia. So mm-hmm. she's yeah, she's not on Instagram, I'll tell you
1: that. Yeah. Um, well, that, that kind of brings up another issue I, In sort of wrapping my head around, you know, how I wanted to approach this today and what I wanted to talk to you about. I reached out to our mutual friend, Steve-O. Oh, yeah. And I was like, because I don't know anything about skateboarding. And I was mm-hmm. like, Steve, like Tony's coming on, what should we talk about? And he told me that he had a super fascinating conversation with you about CTE or you know TBI like the the sort of impact of mm-hmm. um, persistent con- concussions on on brain health and and the like, and he told he told me that that you took some test at some point that allowed you to figure out whether you were more prone to you know sort of be susceptible to injuries like
0: that. Yeah. Uh, well, it was it, it was by um, suggestion of my wife. I was trying to be proactive because obviously th- this this problem is, is pervasive and it, it's not just about ball sports. Any sport where right. you can suffer concussions. And so um, I had a, a a pretty intense blood test, uh, and what I learned is that I don't have the gene that makes you more susceptible to Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, and then, I, and then I went sort of down this rabbit hole of information and, and I found an expert who actually wrote a thesis in San Diego and she's, she's a neurologist. And she said that if you don't have that gene that allows your brain to heal from concussions. If you do have wow. that gene, generally you won't heal from concussions. And that is the key to CTE. Is the idea that you're getting multiple concussions? You have this gene that doesn't allow your brain to heal. Right, right, right. And I know I, I sound like some wannabe <laughs> expert here, but this is exactly how she explained it to me. And she said because I have, I, I don't have this gene, I um, am able to heal my brain from concussions. And not, that's not to say that it, it wouldn't have some effect on me later on, because I've definitely had concussions within a short time period, uh-huh. one after the other, which is you know the recipe for disaster. Um, But it definitely made me more aware uh, and and definitely more proactive in trying to stay safer and and realizing mild concussions are, can be just as traumatic Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, especially if they're repetitive. In rapid succession, yeah. Um, And so then after that, I actually went and had a cognitive test that I will continue to uh, take every six months to a year to make sure I'm not deteriorating, so. And even, I guess the irony there is if you do take those tests and you are deteriorating, there's not a lot you can do about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, Alzheimer's is, I mean, you're experiencing it firsthand, um, devastating. And and I've had specialists on this show who who are doctors in that field and, they're having some pretty remarkable um, results through diet and lifestyle, but in terms of like a, a, a medical protocol to reverse it or prevent it, they're really baffled still.
0: Right, yeah. And I, and I know all that going into it um, and, and it's not gonna change what I do. It just it just changes my approach a little bit. It's And it's not even that it makes me more cautious, it just makes me more aware and, and, right. and, and hypersensitive to any sort
1: of head injury, even if it's the slightest. Yeah. Um, if you had tested for that gene and you found out that you had it, would that, it, what would That's a good would, question. Would I think I anything would, for you? I, I think it would, uh,
0: I, I think it would at least give me pause and also make me research better protection. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I, I, I ride for a helmet company that I firmly believe in and I feel like it's the safest I can be on my skateboard with this helmet on Triple right. Eight. When did the helmets come in? As well, it's, the mainstream. It's it, 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 they haven't really come in. It's hard to explain. Um, when I was when I was young, I skated in skate parks, like designated, you know, in, in the late seventies. Uh-huh. Uh, pads were mandatory. You couldn't enter the park without full full pads, even sometimes with wrist guards. So, for f- from my experience that's just how it was. You had to wear pads. And so pads be, were just the norm. It wasn't until the, the sort of shift of, of street skating in, in the skateboarding culture that pads became not cool or right. considered useless because kids are just skating down the street, going downstairs mm-hmm. and whatnot like that. And then now there's a sort of blend because if you're skating the bigger stuff, the bigger ramps, the bigger parks, your pads are gonna save your life your helmet is for sure and and knee pads for the most part cuz that's the only way to get out of being way up in the air safely right. mm-hmm. um but but there's another mindset that is like well we we just do this on our own terms and we don't wear pads and th- there's a it, i don't want to say that there's a battle between those those camps of thinking but um it's going to come to a head when skateboarding the, enters the Olympics. right? And there's a little sort of mix of both styles of skating. And I think some people will be wearing pads and some won't. Um, and I don't know how that's gonna play out.
1: Yeah, it's a cultural thing, right? I mean, you're talking about a sport that is super unique and distinct from any other sport other than perhaps surfing, where it's this strange mashup of, of, of true sport, physical activity, um, but also lifestyle, culture, and, and really art. Absolutely. And with that comes this ethos, right? That that sort of emanates from punk rock and being counterculture and, you know, against yeah. the man and like yeah, and that's, and wearing and so, pads and all of exactly. that. Exactly, so
0: for me, I'm torn in that sense because I do believe in the DIY sense of skating and, and, and the, the counterculture that it is and it always was. Um, but at the same time I want people to live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I want yeah. them to I want them to survive another day. And I and I don't want to encourage kids to to do something that truly could destroy their
1: lives. Yeah. Well I saw that you tweeted out um, a couple times this fundraiser I think is actually happening today in in Minnesota for Dave Mara's yes. kids. Mm-hmm. Um Dave Mayer and Kevin Robinson. And Kevin Robinson, yeah. right. So so I never knew Dave personally, but when he got into triathlon in a big way, like we became internet buddies and he did the race across America with some friends of mine. Um, so we were sort of acquainted in that way. And and it was just such a shock and and a tragedy when he passed in the way that he did. I mean, is there, do we know if concussions or head injuries had, any sort of impact um, on- I,
0: I don't have any uh, definitive information on that. I, I heard that he might've shown signs of CTE, uh-huh. but I don't wanna spread rumors because right. I, I really don't yeah, have yeah, the yeah. direct knowledge of it. Uh, but it, it seems in terms of what we know about it now, and, and the kind of injuries Dave endured, it's very possible, yes. Right, yeah. So, um, same with Kevin Robinson. I mean, right. Kevin Robinson, he had some of the heaviest concussions I've ever seen in person. Mm-hmm. You know the kind of stuff that he did, where he fall He's he was out, right, and and affected for for long
1: periods of time, mm. um, and so that could have been played into that as well, right. Well, on the subject of the Olympics, I mean, this is, this is huge. This is pretty exciting, 2020 skateboarding making its de- debut. Uh, were you involved behind the scenes in making this happen? I, w- I would assume um, this is decades. Yeah, I mean, I was,
0: I was definitely an advocate for it. I wasn't, I wasn't championing, I wasn't like, you know, <laughs> holding, uh, h- holding any, any sort of um, big pushes, but I, but I do uh, want it to, if it's going to happen, I want to see it happen with integrity and I feel like I, I at least have a voice and, and some influence on that. Right. So I joined up with the ISF, International Skateboard Federation, uh, which has um, now become World Skate. And they are the ones who are sort of ushering it in and and, and showing the IOC how to delicately handle the world of skateboarding, and counterculture uh-huh. in a way that is presentable. Right. Um, it doesn't mean it's gonna change how we do it. It doesn't mean it's gonna change uh, the format of competition, but definitely a way to make the, the sort of, um, non-skating
1: public understand what it is. Right. Well, they've been able to do it with snowboarding, but you're yeah, talking but, about but, two but different cultures. But snowboarding cultures.
0: went through, I, you know, if you don't remember it, when, when snowboarding was in Nagano, it was treated like the,
1: <laughs> right. it was treated yeah, like yeah. the dark horse yeah, of, yeah.
0: of the, um, of the games because people like were like look at these kids you know they're punks and what the one guy tested positive for weed because uh-huh. he had a contact high or something shocking and but but also yeah. but but that was that was the whole vibe right you know that's what people came away from and it was like they because of how the mainstream media was treating it and they didn't realize that that's what the kids were watching mm-hmm. like the kids don't want to watch ice skating anymore mm-hmm. you know <laughs> Or, or, or any more speed skating. Like I, I appreciate
1: all those sports, but how many swimming events do we need? Yeah. Well, when you say making sure that it's introduced with integrity, well, like, what, what I'm does saying that is, mean what, I'm, exactly. what I was saying
0: is that, is that snowboarding went through this, this growing pain because that that happened, and then four years later.
1: NBC figured it out. That well, you need a champion. You need somebody that everybody. can don't even can think, rally it the that. I think it was a champion. I think
0: is they just realized that, that the youth was into these kinds of sports. Uh-huh. For sure, Sean White was was a big part of that. But what I'm saying is, four years later, they realized that that the only way they're going to get a youthful audience is is by sh- highlighting this yeah. youthful sport, mm-hmm. and which they did. Obviously, and Sean was the breakaway star from that. But but I feel like they wised up. And I think that skateboarding won't have to go through that phase because skateboarding is already more popular than most Olympic sports right, in right, the Summer Games. Right. Um, so I, I feel optimistic about that. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of pushback from the skate community. You know, we don't need this. this is all corporate right. and this is mainstream and it's uh-huh. sanitized and whatnot. But, the, you know, this is not the first time skateboarding has been a competitive sport.
1: It, no, it, of course not. I started competing when I was 10 years old. Well, it's, it's kind of the crowning achievement or culmination of, of your legacy, which is in my mind, at least like ushering in this thing that you love into mainstream acceptance and embrace. I mean, there's uh, nothing more like having it in the Olympics is kind of like the ultimate in suddenly it being like ubiquitous. That's true, but, but there, I, I, I have, um, I am
0: a little torn because I, I feel that way in one, in one sense, but in the other sense, I feel like we don't need the Olympics validation to know that we're legitimate, mm-hmm. to know that we are, the skateboarding is popular. It, it, it just is. And so there's a part of me that's, that thinks that they need us more than we need them. That's probably true. Um, yeah. And, but at the same time, the silver lining is that skateboarding will reach a new audience in terms of other countries other cultures mm-hmm. where it's never been seen or or even tested. Mhm.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the the so, sort of downwave impact of that on kids like the the kids you just met, you know, before here like does does seeing it in the Olympics inspire more kids to want to get into it or does that cut across what makes it appealing to them, which is that it's not part of that world and it's their own thing.
0: I think that's twofold. I think for one, it'll, it'll encourage some kids to get into it who've never seen it before. And the other part of that is that it will encourage kids to get into it because they want to be a champion. Mm-hmm. And that was never the motivation in my generation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's becoming more of the mindset, it, not, not across the board, but in a lot of ways, there are kids that, that get into skating because they know you can be rich and famous as a mm-hmm. skater. Um, but also now you can be an Olympian, mm-hmm. um, and and sometimes that is the directive. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's just how that's just with any sport.
1: Well, going back to like the the beginning of your career, I mean, being rich and famous obviously was never part of the mindset. Was it? Was well, it just was it never? It happened. It wasn't an option. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you were you were kind of on the younger end of that. Bones Brigade kind of generation yeah. of people, and and my impression is that you came in with a little bit of a different mindset, a competitive mindset, and y- you know you didn't necessarily come from this. You know you weren't going to dro- grow dreadlocks and, and be a super punk rocker. Like you were approaching it from a more methodical kind of champion mindset. I, it wasn't even to be champion. It was just it was just more
0: to to um, prove myself to be validated. Mm-hmm. The only way you could be recognized when I when I was started skating was to compete. The, you were only ever rated on your your competition rankings. It, it, no one was shooting video, video parts, yeah, right, or right. doing big stunts for video. You know, or or even you wouldn't get coverage in the magazine unless you competed. So that was the only way that I could get any sort of recognition. And and that was so so my drive was to get better at competition, to get more well well rounded as a skater, and to do that. And, and it was sort of only after 10 years of competition, did I realize there might be other avenues and other ways to be a pro skater other than just competing. Was
1: it really 10 years in? Because I, weren't, you, weren't you beginning to try these tricks and do things that were kind of different from the traditional competition framework? Uh, earlier than
0: yeah, it was, I was, I think it was. So I started competing in 1979, 1980. And around 1989 is when the era of skate videos came into play. Uh-huh. And I think that was when the shift started happening. And when I realized that I was able to document these, these really difficult moves that I wouldn't be doing in competition because they're, you know, they take too many tries to, to right. actually make one. Um, but I felt like there was this new outlet and this new um, mindset in terms of, of how people are being progressive. And so that was, that was what I chose to focus on for the most part, but, but I did still compete because you had, to keep your, you had to keep that foot in the door right? right because right, right. That, that still was the way to be rated.
1: But at the time, the emphasis was on the, the competition side <clears throat> and you were like, there was a new wave of people doing what you were doing, but it was still kind of an outlier thing that wasn't exactly like, you know, hey, what are you doing over there? Like, you're not supposed to do that, come back over here. Yeah, I think it, was, it
0: it really wasn't until the popularity sort of fell out of favor in the early 90s is when there was a big shakeup in terms mm-hmm. of skate style and skate culture, because then all the skate parks closed for the most part. And the only people who skated were doing it in places where they weren't allowed to do it, mm-hmm. which meant street skating. Mm-hmm. And suddenly- people started to realize that the urban landscape could be a skate park. Right, is that when pool skating came in? That's no, I'm saying that's when pool skating came out. uh, So like in the early nineties is when all the parks were closing up, right? Pool skating started in in the late Uh seventies. And then skate parks in the eighties opened to emulate backyard pools. So all the skate parks that were the ones that I'm speaking of that were closing were ones that actually had pools in them but were made for skateboarding. Right, I see. So then when when the, those sort of dried up in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, kids took to the streets and, and sort of created their own way to use the cityscape mm-hmm. as a skate park, which meant stairs, handrails, benches, all that kind of stuff. And then they were marked as absolute outcasts and rebels because they were doing it in public spaces and and right. you know, really
1: annoying the pedestrians. Yeah. So there was no the, the competition framework went away. The competitions uh, were still this whole thing there. Dried, but they why were, did it all dry up in '91 or whatever it was? Um,
0: it was because I, it was a few different reasons. Because skating was cyclical. It was always the, like it had it, come into favor in the late '70s, fell out of favor in the early '80s, came back into favor in the late '80s, and then fell out again. So that that was sort of. It was something we we were in denial of, but it was happening and kept happening. Uh-huh. And also in the late 80s, uh, liability was impossible. Liability, liability insurance for skate parks. All the skate parks were private and they couldn't afford the insurance. And um, the way that the liability laws were for public spaces uh, did not favor a sport like skateboarding. Mm-hmm. So public skate park couldn't exist. Mm. And in 19, I'm gonna have the year wrong here, but I wanna say it's, it was somewhere around 1997, six or seven, the liability laws changed in the US where skateboarding was added to the hazardous activities list. And if you participate in skateboarding, you you assume your own liability uh, in the same way that you would rock climbing or skiing. Right. And that's when everything changed and people were allowed to, have a public space, a public skate park without being monitored and and kids were at their own risk.
1: That's so interesting. I had no idea that it was really a change in the law that created that. That was it, yeah. And there was was a law group that was fighting (laughs) it. Yeah, I'm sure, right? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. at voicingchange.media. All right, so just working our way through your career up to this point, I mean, you go pro at 14, you start making all this money, you buy a house when you're still in high school, like you're doing great, like this whole career is is opening up in front of you, you're the new rising star in the sport. Uh, then 91, it kind of all goes away, right? And yeah. And you're faced with this choice, go get a real job or like, kind of you know, join mainstream society. And I, I, I take it a lot of pro skaters at that time, that's what they did, there was no other choice. Mm-hmm. And you make this decision to like double down, you take a second mortgage out on your house and you go all in at a time when nobody, everybody thought skateboarding was gone for good. So walk me through like, how and why you make that decision? Because that's really the pivotal moment that, that yeah. created everything. Uh well,
0: I, I I saw obviously I saw skateboarding's popularity waning, but also the the company I was with was sort of considered the dinosaur company because all these little companies started coming in and making a splash and doing things very rebellious and I you know and as as uh unique of a culture as skateboarding is our, our Palo Peralta was considered like the big corporate entity. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like the Nike, right. even though skateboarding was a small industry. And so I decided I wanted to do my own company because I wanted to, to sort of have my own aesthetics and have my own direction, um, but stay in the industry. And, and I thought that, I was twenty four at the time. I thought that my career as a skater was ending because I was still a vert skater. Vert mm. skating was done, was done. And it was all about street. And I figured if I could get a good group of street skaters together, you know ones that that i I recognize, and make my own team, I could at least get by, right? That that was the goal. The goal was was to get by just because I love skating so much. I wanted to be in the industry. I wanted to to have control of a brand and that was it and, and and we were on a skeleton crew we were i was doing all the marketing all the ads um the team stuff the tours you know i, I was doing but not everything. the skateboarding i was skating that too you were. that's i guess that's the funny thing is i was always skating but only cuz i just enjoyed it i i wasn't uh-huh. skating to be a a team rider so to speak i was just skating because i i couldn't the stop love. yeah and, and and but but the, i guess the 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 the, the the main, the tipping point for us in terms of of, of Birdhouse and, and, and us being successful was sometime around then, around 1994, a couple of years in, the other guys on the team said, you're, you're much more effective as a team rider and being out there skating than you mm-hmm. are as a guy,
1: Working on doing ads, right? Yeah, 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 editing videos. Yeah, and that's that's sort of held true throughout your career. Like, and do you feel that that is still wise advice for you at fifty? That you still need to be on the board and out front, and 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 as much the ambassador as you are the you know sort of leading force behind Tony Hawk Inc. Um, Yeah, but but I have a great, I have a really good group of people that I
0: trust. I trust their um, aesthetics and their values and. And so I have a team in place that I know the quality will always be there. And yeah, sure, I wanna walk the walk. You know, I wanna, I wanna, be, I wanna be relevant. I wanna still be skating. But at the same time, I, I have evolved enough that, that I understand marketing and I understand uh-huh. videos much more than I did right. when we were starting. Um, and, and you know, it, it, it was kind of crushing to hear the team go, you know, your ads kind of suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well back then, I mean, what was you are but, like but we didn't like we we couldn't afford to hire someone to do that. So I, I was the one who had to learn like I had to learn Quark yeah. Express and Photoshop and
1: and do all those things because we couldn't afford to have anyone do it. But at the time also, it was this was a brand new world. There was no like, here's how you do it to launch your skate brand. I mean, yeah, there was no. there was Peralta, but this is when video is coming in, and it becomes all about you know, creating like an aesthetic and a culture as much as yeah, it was is no, about a product. Yeah, there was no template yeah. at all, and and we
0: were relying
1: on. And it wasn't like our our products were
0: reinventing the wheel. We were getting our stuff made where everyone was. It has else to be was. the coolest, but but it had to be cool. So we yeah. had it. We 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 got a very iconic aesthetic going through one of our team writers that was an artist, mm-hmm. and I collected what I thought was the best team at the time, and that's what carried us through. Right. And, and back then, I mean, who did you have mentors? Was Stacy Peralta? Uh, Stacy you know, Peralta was definitely one of my biggest inspirations. In fact, you know, he was the one who, cause I had to come to him to tell him that I quit his team. Yeah. And as, as much as he was upset by it, he said, look, I can't, I can't tell you not to do this. This is what I did. Cause he was a GNS team writer mm-hmm. and he left GNS to start Powell Peralta. And he's like, I, I can't. There's no way I could discourage you from from going and, and chasing this dream because right. that's exactly what I did.
1: Right. And did he? Was he helpful to you with early business advice? Like you're, uh, you're coming he, out he like kinda, trying to create he, a business as, at 24. As much as he could yeah. be, but but you know you're could, competing he, against. He him. couldn't <laughs> encourage me to compete against him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So was there a moment where you felt like okay, it's tipping and it's starting to work. I mean, these are lean times, you know, you've talked a lot about like the $5 a day, Taco Bell, you know, lifestyle that you were on, the mortgage on the house. I'm sure everyone was telling you, you know, you're crazy, what are you doing? Yeah, Um, well, and
0: especially I just, you know, I just had my first child. Right, um, And throw irresponsible in there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But but again, I I was for the most part, I was the main um, caretaker of him. So when I would go travel and stuff, he would just come with me mm-hmm. by default. Um but definitely we we had to scale back on so many expenses. And and at Birdhouse, my partner and I, Per Wheelander, we kept taking pay cuts. And we kept you know doing the same with the riders and, and mm-hmm. it was it was becoming very the the outlook was
1: bleak, but we we hung in there to make it work. Right. I think a lot of people, you know, sort of want to know, well, how did you know? Why did you make this choice, and why didn't you just do what everyone else was doing? But like from what I gather from you, it's it wasn't really a choice. Like this is you were going to do this. This skating was your life. You were all in from the get go. Yeah. Is
0: I, that there, fair? there were. I would say somewhere after the first three years of. Of us being in business, yeah, like 1995-ish is when we had heavy discussions about closing shop. Right. Because we just weren't, the profits were not um, justifying the expenses, and the expenses were very slim. Yeah. Um, And I started, I had some video editing equipment, and so I started editing videos for other skate companies and even other entities because I at least knew how to put stuff together and I could do it cheaply. Uh Uh-huh um but it was i would say around 96 97 is when things started really turning around right and to the point where it got bigger than we had anticipated um and um and we were we were thankful because we were about to shut
1: it down. Right. And you were perfectly positioned because you'd been doing it for so long. You'd established credibility in this space. So that when the law changed and then when did the X Games? X Games
0: were 95. Right. It was was probably the second year of X Games is when my, well, also just my name recognition was out there because I had 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 that through the eighties and then it was a new generation and it was mostly parents that were Seeing this, and their kids were excited because they'd never seen skateboarding on right. TV. And then their kids were like, Oh, who's this guy, Tony Hawk? And then their parents were like, Oh, I know Tony Hawk from you know right. the 80s, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, I luckily I sort of survived two generations of, of skating like that, and, and that helped quite a bit. And because of that, people were interested in Birdhouse, uh huh. Um, and then fast forward to 1999 is when our video, video game got released right. and I had included obviously all of our brands in it because I was trying to get the exposure for it. Right. But I had no, you know, we had no idea that we were going to create a whole new genre of video games through doing that.
1: No, I mean, it's the confluence of all of these things, some of which you had control over and many of which you didn't, that all c- came together in almost this divine timing to conspire to, you know, create what has transpired. But during those, you know, lean times. Did you hold on to this vision that it would become this big thing, or was that as a surprise to you? I, it as was much a as...
0: surprise to me. I was just trying yeah. to. I was just trying to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was not trying to get exponentially rich right. ever. I, it was just more. I wanted to keep skating. I wanted to enjoy what I was doing, and if I could provide for a family by doing so, that was good enough. Right. Right. And so, I still feel like so, that. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Every, everything else, like all the all the money and fame, that's all gravy and it's all obviously fun. But at the bottom line is I want to make sure that my kids are provided for and mm-hmm. that I'm
1: there for them. Mm-hmm. But the driving force beneath it is just your love for this, right? Like it's not it was never about oh, sure. the yeah. money I mean, and all that kind uh, yeah, of stuff. Yeah, like
0: all the all the stuff that I've been doing, especially skating wise these days, I'm not I'm not doing it because I'm hoping that I am you know Hanging on to that thread of fame. I'm doing it because I really love it. And I'm, I'm happy that people are interested in it, but uh-huh. I'm just doing it because I, I would be doing it anyway. Yeah. Like I, all the stuff that I'm doing, especially for skating and appearances that I get paid ridiculous amounts of money for, I would do for free. Yeah. Well,
1: it's such a blessing and a rare thing for somebody to know very young. Not only what they're good at, but what they love, and to carry that through their whole life. like for a lot of people, you know, people who are lucky enough to find something that they love when they're young, the sort of you know attrition of life wears that down, and they end up becoming something else. So yeah. To be able to hold on to that, I think is is you know maybe that's your your greatest talent of of all of this. Uh, maybe you yeah, <laughs> I think it might just be stubbornness. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because I think people. Seem to ask you a lot, like you know, how do you become this successful business person, and you know all of that, and it's sort yeah. of like you, my, my it path really goes is not one to, that I can really say you,
0: right. everyone can emulate it. No, and, and you know, it's the one in a million that you get to do it on this level, absolutely, right? And and something that was never considered legitimate. Um, but but I, but there are lessons there in terms of perseverance and following your passion and and quality control
1: that mm-hmm. I feel like I can convey it to other people, mm-hmm. and and fundamentally. Uh, a very healthy relationship with failure, which is inevitable if you're gonna yeah. become a skater. Yeah. From, from from the get-go, you're, you're meeting failure on a daily basis yeah, in nice. a very physical and painful way. Right. And if you can't develop a relationship, a healthy relationship with what it means to fall on your face, not only are you not gonna make it as a skater, you're unlikely to you know, persevere in whatever else it is that you're pursuing in your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that carries through even to business decisions where I'm not really afraid to take risks. As
1: right. I, you know, I know that's what it takes to succeed. Right. Um, yeah, I think I, I heard you say somewhere uh, that uh, there's a defining moment in every skater's life and, and, and that's what they do in the wake of their first you know, really gnarly crash. Uh, I think so. They, it, a lot of people
0: try skating and the first time they get hurt, that's the moment where they say, not doing it ever again. <laughs> yeah. um, and the ones that that persevere because they learn from that mistake or because they're just driven, uh, that's the moment where you know that,
1: that you could make it. Right. And so did you have that? Did you have like a super intense? Crash I did, yeah. When um, the first time I, I got really
0: hurt, uh I got a concussion because my helmet was terrible and um I knocked my front teeth out. Uh and I woke up I woke up in the ambulance basically is when I really became mm. uh lucent and I knew exactly what I had done, how I fell, what I did wrong, and my first thought was, Oh, I you know, I gotta learn to figure that out, and do it better. Right. It wasn't like I can't believe I did that. I'm gonna die. I'm, you know, I'm never skating what again. What am I doing with... Me? It <laughs> yeah, was yeah, very yeah. much like, oh, I can't wait to get back out there and learn that trick because now I know how to do it right. Right. What do
1: you think are the other big things that skating taught you that serve you well in your business and personal life? Um, I think just
0: that, that you don't always have to follow the, the tried and true path that... Um, it, it's not all about doing it by the book, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's about finding your own way and 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 making making it your own, and also um, using not using but but taking cues from from other successes and expanding on them in terms of li- like li- quite literally tricks like you, you take a trick and you're like, well, maybe this could be done a little bit differently mm-hmm. or, or with an extra spin or with a different flair. And the collective evolution of skating, I think is something that could be taken to all kinds of different uh, parts of life or, or businesses
1: even. So what would be an example of that?
0: Um, I think that just in terms of like scientific progress, if more groups were sharing their successes, and, and there was more collective energy to uh-huh. whatever, to medicines, to health, but everyone is so isolated in, in what they're doing and, and so focused on their own successes that it's almost like everyone's working against each other.
1: Right, like in a zero sum game exactly. mentality. Yeah, and, and skateboarding like has never thing. been like
0: that because it's just an open architecture.
1: Yeah, and has it remained true to that to this it day? Has. Or yeah. It has, I, yeah,
0: I, I guess I, in terms of competition, maybe some people, try to keep it a little close to the heart where if they're learning something new or they got a new thing, they're not gonna in- unveil it until right. the the big competition and stakes
1: are high now, so that's understandable. So uh, let's go back to 99. 99 is when you do you do this 900, mm. right? And you're 43 at the time? Uh, 31. Oh, you're 31 yeah. the first time. That's right, okay. Um, you did it again at 43 and then forty eight. 48, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I've done it since the first time dozens of times. So right. it wasn't like
1: every year was a certain milestone. But but on like, like a stage or whatever where there's a lot of people there.
0: Uh yeah, that too. But but when I was forty eight I hadn't tried it in about five years. So uh-huh. that was I felt like that was a little more monumental. Right. Um uh
1: but uh yeah it's still hard. <laughs> How many people have done it now, since you?
0: Oh that's a good question. I wanna say about Ten or eleven? Not
1: oh, really. So, still only a few people, right? Yeah, I, but at the same
0: time, it's just not—it's not the focus of of skaters in terms uh-huh. of some kid growing up skating the park or skating the street. They don't care about a nine hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, they care about a kickflip frontside hurricane like that. Mm-hmm. That's what their—that's what their uh, opus is. Right. But for for ramp skating, it's definitely a milestone. But but even so. A couple of kids have done 1080s
1: now. Oh, wow. You know, because the ramps uh-huh. have
0: gotten bigger and, and you learn to spin
1: at an earlier age. And so that's the next progression. Yeah, got it. But when this happens for the first time in 99, I mean, that's another kind of milestone, not just in your life, but in the kind of uh, canon of skating, right? When this happens because the mainstream culture took notice of it in yeah. a way that was kind of unprecedented.
0: Yeah, for sure, it, it changed a lot of things in, in my life, and in terms of recognition and opportunities. Um, it, it, it was strange to me though, because it was a trick that I had been trying for ten years on and off, and I had learned seven twenties fourteen years prior to that mm-hmm. on a backyard ramp in outside of Stockholm, Sweden, with three people watching me, uh-huh. and you know a couple of claps and that was it it was it just wasn't a in the skate world it, it was a milestone but it wasn't this monumental achievement i mean it was something i was proud of for yeah. sure yeah 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 and then to have so much attention on the this next 180 spin 14 years later was really strange to yeah. me because it was like why didn't why do you care now what you know, <laughs> right, yeah. what, what has changed so drastically and uh-huh. and obviously there are Plenty of obvious answers to that, but it was really strange to me where it was suddenly I was getting stopped in airports by people who had nothing to do with skating. They were mm-hmm. Like nine
1: hundred, bro, yeah, yeah. But, well, the YouTube video version of it has like twelve mil- million views on it, I think, or something. Yeah, like
0: I mean, that. it's still it, it. I'm 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 hugely proud of it, but like I said, it was it was a it was a strange shift for me, um, and and you know the, the the perfect storm timing of that was that we had been working on a video game for two years mm-hmm. up to that point, and it was about to be released. Mm-hmm. And so that was this extra bonus of, of all that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you couldn't have, you know, with all your marketing expertise, you could not have conceptualized <laughs> I could, yeah, a better thing. I, <laughs> I, I certainly couldn't have planned this for sure. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that video game had been in development for like two years, right, leading up to yeah. that. And then when yeah. it was released, uh, it was, an, it, it was like a quantum leap forward in terms of what video games could do. And it just, the timing was amazing and it just exploded, right? And yeah. that changed your life. It, it
0: changed my life, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and changed my opportunities. And, and it, when I did that, you know, 99 was already, I was considering that to be my last year of competition, just because I had, had been competing for 20 years at that point. Uh-huh. And to have that happen, it was like, well, that, that's the obvious out. I end on a high note. I'm not going to compete anymore. Mm-hmm. And then when the video game got released, suddenly I had all these opportunities to do things outside of competition that I had, some that I had dreamed of, some that I had never even expected.
1: There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce You must have some, I mean, I think it's part and parcel of your internal motor, your drive. Like, I think a lot of people would have retired and then just banked licensing checks for, you know, and just kick back, you know, but you saw a greater opportunity and you decided to like, you know, expand, you know, exponentially based on those opportunities.
0: Yeah, well, I, it just was more out of, out of uh, fun. Yeah, I just thought, oh, this would be really cool that I can now I can take McDonald's marketing dollars and show uh-huh. people what skateboarding is, right? Um, or I can help to build more public skate parks mm-hmm. through through a charity, and and people think you know people understand that that's a legitimate need in in society. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do a tour where we're not the sideshow to the rock show; we're actually front and center. Front and center, right? Skateboarding, BMX, motocross—you know things like that. Was, was the catalyst for all that was definitely the video game,
1: right? Um, but then you start like inking, you know, a zillion endorsement deals, right? And is that where the the sort of sellout thing? Starts oh, to creep I was in already you, I was already considered <laughs> was a sellout a long before that. Yeah, as soon
0: as as soon as I got a Bagel uh-huh. Bites contract in ninety uh-huh. seven, uh-huh. I think uh-huh. that was that was the moment where people were like, "All right, this is you know he's." He's not on. He's not just having skateboard sponsors. He's he's doing stuff that's big corporate, evil that's
1: entities. Very unpunk rock.
0: Yeah, but but uh, I guess the, the funny thing is, I never was trying to keep skateboarding this isolated, pure movement. Mm-hmm. I was always trying to share what what good it did for me with more people, mm-hmm. and we never really had that opportunity. If if when I was. 14 turning pro, I got offered a contract from Bagel Bites or from McDonald's, I would've ate it up. Right, I wasn't trying to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't trying to keep it this this
1: um, core coveted sport. But it seems like it was that it's that thing like where, you know, a, a little indie band is cool and it has its followers and then sure. they do their next album and it breaks huge and then suddenly everybody turns on it them. All, you know, it's, yeah, that, it's, it's, it's always just happened, the nature but, of things.
0: But I guess the funny thing is, is that, Sure, I was the I was the guinea pig for that sort of those types of endorsements. But now it's totally normal to be sponsored by Toyota and be a mm-hmm. skateboarder. That right. doesn't it doesn't even register on yeah. anyone.
1: Well the 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 relationship with the haters goes back very early, right? Because from the sure. get-go you had a very different style and Yeah. Was, well
0: I yeah. I I I do some um speaking engagements and, and this is one of the the points that I make is that uh I was so set up for haters at an early age that I, I sort of built this, this shell where when I was a kid, I was so little that I couldn't, I couldn't propel myself up and do aerials and stuff the way that the pros were doing it because I didn't have the weight, I mm-hmm. didn't have the bulk. And so I learned how to ollie into the air and then grab my board. And, and the, the older generation said that was cheating. Mm because if you ollie into your air, then you can grab it any way. And I was like, exactly, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Right. And so I got a lot of flack for that. And so it was very weird because I was in the small community already considered an outcast because I skated. And then I was an outcast in that outcast community. Uh-huh. I was like shunned because of my style. And so that just set me up to sort of prove myself further. And so when, then when the, the, the era came of, being considered a sellout, I was already well-suited for hearing that sort of negativity. Uh-huh. Yeah, a pariah within a
1: community of pariahs. Yeah,
0: and so it was like, oh, he's a sellout. I was like, please, yeah. you guys used to hate my style. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Now my style is popular, and now I'm getting paid you know, big money because of it. And now you don't like me because of that, like, oh please. And then, so so that set me up for the second generation of haters, which only set me up for the third generation, which is social media. Mm -hmm. And so when people are so crushed by the amount of negative comments on social media, it just passes me by. I was like, these people used to say this to my face.
1: Do you even look at it? (laughs) <laughs> I look you at it, sure, uh, but,
0: but you know, they're hiding behind anonymous c- right. names. And if you look at what they're putting out there, they're just talking shit to everyone. Yeah. So it's like, it's,
1: you're not even special. But it's bizarre that you are on the receiving end of that kind of stuff because you're, I mean, you're like widely beloved in your sport. You're one of the most popular, you know, sports figures, you know, in our current generation. Oh, but like people always find you know, something, you know yeah, what I mean? I, guess, I, I right? can't say
0: that that's, that's the, the majority of the the comments I get, but it it, it's, it's always there, Right. you know, or, or or people just wanna, they just wanna be cynical about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like I said, it's not that that's, that's the crux of what I, what I get, but I'm,
1: I'm well prepared to handle it yeah. because of what I went through as a kid. How do you stay grounded? You seem like you have a healthy you know, sense of humility about everything that goes on in your life. Like, how do you maintain
0: that? Uh, kids, yeah. you know, like taking care of kids and-, and Five kids? Uh, between six my wife and I, we have six. six kids, uh, well, right. I mean, my oldest is twenty five, right. so he's mm-hmm. not really a kid. but um but just you know the idea that we we gotta drive them to whatever, good like go take them surfing or uh-huh. go to your friend's house. and and the the kind of stuff we have to deal with is just usual, right. parental, like ridiculous requests. do your dishes. you know what I mean? Right. So that stuff definitely keeps you grounded because kids just they don't they don't care if you're famous. Do you have <laughs> if anything <do> you, <laughs> that's a nuisance to them?
1: <laughs> what do they think about like who you are and what you do, and 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 how has your experience kind of informed your parenting style?
0: Um, well, they they like it in the sense that it affords us certain opportunities that most people don't get. Um, most of them, well, all the all the boys skate, so they enjoy that I they get to go to these these skate parks, uh-huh. these you know fantastical places, and they get to skate, and sometimes they get to do it alone. Um, like they'll, they'll get a skate park to themselves or whatever. Like if we go to Zurich and so they enjoy that aspect of it. Um, I think that, uh, the only thing they don't enjoy is that it requires so much of my time. So I Mm -hmm. have to travel constantly and do this. I don't have to, but to maintain this lifestyle, you have to, you know, I've got to figure out a healthy balance of, of work and, and home. And, um, but they do, uh, they
1: like it. They understand it. For sure. Yeah. And your, your oldest, is he pro skater? He's a pro skater, yeah. yeah. he is, wow. Um, And so how does that work in terms of like father-son, you know, communication around I that think, when he's well, he, in your shadow? He, he's
0: got a whole different style of skating and, and he's got other interests too. He's kind of a Renaissance man. He he He's in a band that does pretty well. He Now he's a part-time model. So uh-huh. he's got other things going on. He wants to start a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, But uh, he, I think it's just more I led by example, you know, to show him that, Yes, this is fun yes it's amazing. You can get paid for it, but you do have to work at it mm-hmm. and and sometimes you got to jump through the hoops in terms of doing interviews and and being presentable i mean you know it's not like you have to force it, but for sure.
1: Don't be a dick to kids. <laughs> Do you worry about uh, like that internal motor that you have that allowed you to kind of you know weather the hard times and, and you know part of that is formative, right? There's a lot of I think so, healthy yeah. you know life experience that comes out for of that. Sure. that and and when Riley,
0: you're... well, my oldest Riley, he lived through the, the lean times. With yeah. Me. Uh-huh. So he understands that right. he has a better appreciation for the you know the cushiness of, of how we get to live now. Um, but at the same time, they're all. Th- I want them to be self-sufficient. I want them to be self-motivated. They can't just rely on my success or uh-huh. my finances for their their own future. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And now, like currently, like how do you sort of think about or partition you know, your involvement in in business? You have your hands in a million different things versus um, your identity as an athlete. Like, how does that how does that even break down? Like on a day to day basis.
0: Uh, well, if you're it it. it I just try to, I try to prioritize mostly firstly family, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I try to make sure that, that there's, a, there's a very high quality control going on with any of my products or my companies that I'm involved with and trying to skate as much as I can. Um, trying to be interesting like on social media, things like that and uh-huh. share fun things that aren't just about me.
1: I love the um, stuff that you share, like when people recognize you, or they're not sure that they recognize oh, you. <laughs> That's all <laughs> real, like, you know. I've actually had a few people that that,
0: that it was them that I'm speaking of, uh-huh. and they'll comment like, "I just was nervous. I didn't right. know. Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. sorry." I'm like, no, it gives me it gives me another story. Right. I think people are actually kind of getting sick of that at this point. No, like, I think but it's good. It, but but every time it happens, almost you know every. Fifth time it happens, it's some unique interaction right. that I think is funny to yeah, share. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so, what is the when you say like, uh, you know, I try to skate as much as possible. Well, it, like, like a, do you, tra- do you have like a training product? Do you do? I mean, is it just skating or do you do other stuff? I, I have, well, I have my own ramp. It's, it's the ramp that I built for our
0: tour for a boom, boom uh-huh. That's uh That's like that million dollar ramp. Yeah, it's in San Diego, and so I literally was skating it yesterday. That's where my office is, and so. Uh, it, Summertime is, is a little different, but but generally my regular day would consist of getting kids off to school, then going there and, and either having meetings or taking phone calls, replying to emails and things like that, maybe doing phone interviews or whatnot, and then trying to skate before kids get out of school. Uh-huh. And then if after that, then I'm kind of at their disposal, whatever right, they want right. they want to do.
1: And then the travel is just- And then when
0: I know. travel, it's, it's very much, I'm trying to fit everything in all at once. Mm-hmm. And so traveling is kind of nonstop. Mm-hmm. I guess best example is like, I'm going to Buenos Aires uh, in a couple months. I, I'm, I'm traveling quite a bit before then, but this is a perfect example in that there's an event uh, the day before that I'm flying to Buenos Aires, I'll be there for 16 hours doing this event, doing speaking thing, doing a skate thing, and then flying right back into mm-hmm. a fundraiser the day I get back. Right. But because I gotta, I got all of those things were important to do. How do you uh, figure out what to say yes to and
1: what to say no to?
0: I, whatever I feel like will have, will resonate best mm-hmm. um, and, and have the most impact or that I feel strongly about, mm-hmm. but, but definitely I've learned to say no. I think the, the, the probably the best, um, Advantage of of having all the success is that it gives you the power to say no to
1: right. things. But all the stuff that you get offered is cool. You probably want to do all. There's of it. so you much cool stuff. You know? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It, it is very strange to be like, sorry, <laughs> come I can't. hang out with this yeah. icon that you've revered
0: your whole life. Pretty much. Yeah. Like I got it. a thing today. Like, <laughs> oh, I really can't make the movie premiere, but I appreciate the invite. <laughs> this is yeah, literally like, like, like that. Asshole. That was that was an email I right. got
1: today. Uh-huh. Like,
0: I would love to do it, but next week is hectic, and we got the kids and. Can't just break out
1: for the night. Where do you think the 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 drive comes from? Is it just an internal drive to be the best that you can be, be the most expressive? Does it come from a sense of competing against others? Like, what's the genesis of the whole thing?
0: I think for, it's always been progression and and wanting to challenge myself. I never felt, I, I never wanted to rest on my accolades. I didn't really. I was never about like I have to be number one because once. I feel like if, you, if those are your goals, if your mindset is like, I, I wanna be number one or I wanna be rich, I wanna be famous, if you get a taste of any of that, you lose your motivation. Mm-hmm. Not that I had this sort of perspective when I was a kid, but my goal was just to get better. My goal was just to get better at skating and do better tricks. And so even if I won a contest, I was out there the next day skating, trying new stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and that's never waned. I mean, that's still how it is.
1: Yeah, so that that like, Devotion to incremental daily progression spills over into business life. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and
0: what and I look for those challenges, or I look for voids in the market. Uh-huh. where like, oh, this this could be a fun thing to get into or to, to try to create a movement here.
1: Yeah, and that's not the sexy stuff. Everyone wants to see you on the ramp or you know there's pictures and videos and all that kind of stuff, but it's the daily kind of like pressure applied to that thing that you love or whatever it is you're trying to move forward and it just is, being yeah, and, but, but happy I know with it, that alone. I, but I know that success
0: will come later or that, that appreciation will come later, even if it's not just a skating thing. Uh-huh. Have you had, what's the biggest failure that you've had? (laughs) Uh, When we first started having success as a skate brand, we also had a distribution arm and we were carrying other skate brands. And then we started carrying, like doing sort of different clothing uh, hookups is a brand that we created under that umbrella. And then we took in um, a designer and started doing high-end denim around 2004, Uh right when, That was a thing where people started paying a lot of money for jeans, but we had this guy that was sort of right at the um, right place, right time in terms of being uh, really cool designs. But we didn't know, we didn't know apparel. Yeah, we didn't, especially denim. And all of a sudden, it was eating all the profits from the building. I mean, everything.
1: So all the profits, the other businesses, everything. Yeah, yeah.
0: and and it got and, and. my partner wanted to, to keep it going. I wanted to keep getting bigger loans. And and at some point it was like, we have to let this go. <laughs> this, uh-huh. is, this is, we're way in way overhead. And we basically sold the brand for what we owed the banks. Hmm. And so um, what, yeah. Well, I mean, that seems like a business that's outside of your, you know. Service. It was. And, and I think we just, we were, we thought we were invincible. You know, we were higher on own uh, uh-huh. high on our own success. And we were like, we can make anything work. right. And, and so what do you
1: take from that that like helped you later? Uh,
0: that I I can't get into something just cuz I I think it'll be successful. I have to really be passionate and believe in it and understand mm-hmm. all the aspects of it. I think what what I what carried me through all of the success was was embracing all the minutia and learning all the other stuff about a business mm-hmm. that maybe I didn't care about as a kid and and a lot of times, you know, the the non-sexy stuff of Purchase orders and you know and paying taxes and, and all that stuff is just things I didn't want to care about. But but as I learned them as I embraced them, that helped me. That helped me to be successful.
1: Right. Well, in skating, the minutia is everything. Right. Being highly attuned to the minutia and and figuring out the tiniest shifts in your body weight or whatever it is to make it work. Um, and it's a very personal, individual endeavor. And then you scale that up into business, and suddenly, like I would assume. <clears throat> Well, it's basically you have as a skater you have to be a control freak about yourself right in a lot and then of you ways have to yeah but a also team but
0: but but I think what what uh,
1: what contributed to my
0: success was that I was I was willing to go outside my comfort zone and so like I learned techniques in skating that I, I wasn't really interested in but I knew it would help me be more well-rounded in terms of competition or exhibitions uh-huh. in terms of skating different terrain other skate parks stuff like that And with that mindset, that helped me in business because I was willing to get outside my comfort zone
1: and learn all these other aspects of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. We're in a a culture right now where suddenly it's super cool to be uh, an entrepreneur A small business owner, a startup founder. Everybody wants to be a startup founder. So (laughs) all these people are, yeah.
0: So they're looking at startup. They want the exit.
1: They're not looking at the daily incremental progression. They're looking at the destination. Yeah. Right. So when you sort of canvas young people or or anybody for that matter out there taking a stab at business, like what do you identify as the common mistakes that like you see immediately? Uh, Losing control of the brand or or the
0: direction in, in um, pursuit of fast fast cash. Uh-huh. I think that a lot of people, they they see an inf- maybe an injection of money and they think, oh, that's it, that's what's they're gonna They're celebrating, make it. yeah. But, like but then they, they don't they realize. They gave away their,
1: they're giving away their company. They're
0: giving away their company. And no matter how much they promise that it's gonna be the same thing, it is never the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's gonna be a whole new set of employees in a whole new direction. And you have to maintain that control. And sometimes that, that requires b- buckling down and, and denying the
1: money or the, the quick money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you look back on, on uh, your career, whether it's skating or business, like what are the <clears throat> fondest memories that, that stick out For you, like, what do you remember most? Like, when you're like, oh man, remember that time? Remember how awesome that was? Or it's funny. I I remember
0: the the leaner times because they were so free, and like the early days of Birdhouse was, um, we're on tour. It was five of us in our delivery van, driving across the country, skating parking lots for a hundred people, maybe. You know, people and and at a skate shop, they would just put up some wooden ramps in their in their parking lot for us to skate. And we'd all share the same hotel room, and uh-huh. and even though that all seems like a struggle, it was it was super fun because it was we just didn't care, we had nothing to lose, yeah, um, and and that that was very liberating.
1: I find that to be common amongst a lot of different successful people when you they don't they don't remember oh the, it's not the IPO or standing oh, on the podium I, at I the Olympics There were plenty They're of great but like sure. the fondest like the yeah. ones that really like you know hit you in the heart it is those early yeah. days when life was simple and there was nothing to lose and it was just about your dreams you yeah know?
0: but i can never downplay
1: being on the simpsons yeah that was <laughs> the coolest was it, things right? by far yeah uh-huh well, that's when you have just crossed over in the biggest way. It was it was it was I such know. a yeah,
0: it was definitely a huge validation. Uh-huh. Um and and the fact that, you know, if you're on the Simpsons as yourself, there's a cool factor that's yeah, undeniable. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, now you have your skateboard in the Smithsonian and like you skateboarded in the White House or in the <laughs> yeah, old yeah, executive yeah. office building or something. Yeah. Uh
0: no, I did skate through the White House actually. You when, did? Uh, I got invited there during a Father's Day celebration uh when Obama was in office mm-hmm. and um, I was waiting at the nearby, the Eisenhower building is right next door. Yeah. I was waiting there and I and I'd skated through the hall and got a photo and I thought that was super cool. And then I realized that once I got over to the White House, I could just do the same thing really quick before yeah. they told me no Uh huh. and I did. Did they tell you no though? They, they didn't, s- but I knew, Not to push it. (laughs) Uh Was Obama there, did he see it? He didn't see me do it, but I saw him right after that. You did, Uh uh-huh. But the funny thing is, he actually, one of the few things he said to me
1: was, hey, I'm really sorry, we don't have any ramps for you to skate (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool if there was a ramp out behind that. He should have just gotten one there just for you for that day, you know. I think they wanted
0: wanted plausible deniability that they didn't allow me to do that.
1: Right, what do you think of uh, this new sort of motorized skateboard trend? Um, I don't know. It's you know, it's it's okay. It's yeah. good
0: transportation, sure.
1: Yeah, but it's I don't not. Really... It's different. I, yeah, you're not. You're not gonna do any kickflips on them. No. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 they're cool though. I'm sure you've ri- you've ridden them. They're fun yeah, to yeah, ride.
0: yeah, yeah. In fact, we we're working on a possible line of that kind of thing that is more in tune with real skateboards, but does have motors.
1: Uh huh. It's not just longboards. Right. Yeah, that's cool. So what is uh what's exciting you now? Like, what are you into now that that's new? You know, in this this, you know, continuation of pushing the envelope uh, and trying I, new things.
0: Well, I, I've, our hot clothing brand has a lot of potential. We've been expanding that globally and a lot in South America. And I feel like there's there's a lot more we can do with that mm-hmm. um, because our the, the whole basis of hot clothing is, is cool clothes, cool skate culture clothes for kids. And um, other than that, probably the one thing I'm really excited about Working on in the future is I, I have a project with Mark Mothersbaugh where we're going to do oh, a, the Broadway thing, a Broadway play, a Broadway show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, that that's that's coming closer to reality than it ever has been, and uh-huh. that's super exciting to me because I feel like we could do something really unique in a Broadway setting, right? Um, with his music and my. Skating choreography,
1: right? So, for people that are listening who don't know, Mark Mothersbaugh, legendary musician, member of Devo, and now just an incredible composer for film and television.
0: Yeah, basically
1: any of your favorite
0: movies, he yeah. probably did all right, music right. for. Yeah, yeah,
1: incredible musician. Yeah, he's that's awesome.
0: exciting. So, what is the like? What's the storyline? Uh, we bought the rights to a Nick Hornby book called Slam, uh-huh. which is about a skater, a teenage skater that gets a girl pregnant. It's about a teen pregnancy. It's about it's about them, not not just. About him, but about her as well, and uh, we bought the rights to that, and we want to make it this sort of Broadway production of this kid who has, who is at a crossroads of you know responsibility, mm-hmm. and and he still wants to skate, and um, I think it, I think it's a really good story, and theme
1: for for kids today very cool yeah the the whole world of theater and Broadway has its own rules it's very that's strange what we're, and unlike any other business I've yeah, but seen. I feel
0: like there I feel like it's with the success of um, Book of Mormon right. and the success of Hamilton, we're seeing that you can do it way different uh-huh. and and be revered yeah, and I'm hoping that we can at least get you know get some attention on that so how far how far down the line are you uh we, we we're getting there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We're we're in the middle of getting funding, but it, but Mark's writing and we're
1: designing sets and things like that. And are you going to be involved in? Are you going to do commentary on the Olympics or are you ever gonna any? Uh, official? I I have definitely planted that seed. Uh-huh. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, I used to do all the X Games commentary, so mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm used to it. Um, beyond that, uh, I'm working on a mobile game, like a phone skating game. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a while. I haven't, yeah. I haven't I haven't done
1: a game in a few uh-huh. years, so How would this be? Well, I guess we're yeah, we're in a new world of what's possible and you're doing this with mobile and everything like that. Yeah, the, yeah. How, it's going to it's
0: not it's not with Activision, it's not uh-huh. THPS,
1: right. but definitely there are hints of it. Uh-huh. What do you think um we'll wrap this up in a minute, but what do you what do you think uh gets misunderstood? About you or or that you wish people kind of understood better about who you are and what's important to you
0: Oh, that's a good question. I, I think that I think people are, have been focused on my success, maybe too much, where they think that that all I really ever cared about was being rich or famous, and that was that was never my motivation because it just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. and even to this day like it, it's it's still incidental to what I do and, and how much I love skating, but I feel like. At least on some level, I've proven that over over recent years, just with putting out video parts at my age and things like that, and doing stuff that you know there there was no end game financially for any of that. Yeah. Um, But uh, I don't. You know, I I think I I come as I am. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not trying to present some other persona. And what you see is what you get.
1: Yeah. I mean, as somebody who who has you know followed your passion, you know, who had a passion and has committed to following it for as far back as you can remember, it's very trite and kind of pithy to tell people like, you should follow your passion. Most people are really so disconnected from themselves that they're not even really sure what that passion is. And so when people say to you like, you know, how do you find that? Or like if I'm stuck in a cubicle in a job that I hate, you know, how can I get a little bit, how can I get some of that to rub off on me? Or like, what should I do to try to cultivate a little bit of that, you know, sense of purposefulness and and direction?
0: I I think it's more just really focusing on something you love and, and making time for it. You know, don't quit altogether, like if, if, uh, if, you, want yeah. to, if you want to, if you wanna take that chance, go for it. I would definitely, I, I would <laughs> I would support that as well. But I feel like you've gotta carve you just gotta prioritize your time and you gotta carve out some time to do something you really love. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it sounds simple, you know, and, but I know
1: it's hard. Well, and I think people overcomplicate it as well. Absolutely. Or they feel like uh, they're afraid to fail or they feel like whatever it is they're passionate about is silly you know, because maybe it's comic books it, or yeah, maybe it's something that as a kid, matter. you know, right. and that's the thing is like giving people permission and telling them it's okay well, to I'm living love the thing that, that, that you can, love. Yeah, I'm living yeah, proof so, that you could do something right.
0: that was considered not cool mm-hmm.
1: and, and make it work. And cultivate that inner kid. Yeah. Good talking to you, man. Oh, you too, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I appreciate you having on. Uh, you're easy to find on the internet at Tony Hawk everywhere. Everywhere at Tony Hawk. Yeah. Um, anything else coming up you wanna make people aware of?
0: Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think so. I'm, you know, pretty, pretty excited about, uh, all the stuff coming up. My plate is full for the most part, but, yeah, uh, I would imagine it, it it is. in a good way. And with kids, like my daughter is here. Yeah, she's actually. here,
1: she's manning the camera.
0: Her, her uh, <laughs> we, our, our trade off was that she gets to go to a restaurant
1: she really wanted to try up here. Well, good. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you making the adventure up here, man. Yeah, good thank talking you. talking to you. All right, peace. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing human, that Tony Hawk. I dig him. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Do me a favor by doing Tony a solid. Hit him up on the socials at Tony Hawk on both Twitter and Instagram. And uh, let him know. Let him know how this one landed for you. Uh, you can check out the conversation as well as a few short clips from the episode on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash richroll And as always, be sure to explore the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com to take this experience beyond the earbuds. If you are looking for nutritional guidance, do me a favor, check out our meal planner at meals.richroll.com. If you do, you will find thousands, literally thousands of plant-based recipes, all super customized based on your personal preferences with unlimited grocery lists, and grocery delivery in most US cities with international delivery in certain cities coming soon, amazing customer support and service, people who really know all about this stuff available to you seven days a week. And you can get all this for just $1.90 a week. It's an incredible deal. So to learn more and to sign up, go to meals.richroll.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu on my website. And if you would like to support our work here at the RRP, just tell your friends, share your favorite episodes on social media. I love it when people crib a clip uh, from YouTube or iTunes and share it on Instagram or Instagram stories or wherever. And uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you enjoy this content. You can also support us on Patreon as well at richroll.com forward slash donate. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. I definitely do not do this alone. Jason Camiello for audio engineering production, show notes, and interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for graphics. My man DK, David Kahn for sponsorship relationships, and theme music, as always, by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. See you back here in a couple days for another midweek spiritual download with Julie Pyatt. And then Sunday night, I'm putting up my latest with the great John Joseph. Until then, uh, keep pushing progress over perfection, my friends. Peace, plants. Namaste.